was. And, and I want you to read this song, uh, these lyrics with me, uh, when I, about the, the song called, I Wish It Would Rain. Some of y'all know what I'm going with this. It said, my eyes search the skies desperately for rain, because raindrops will hide my teardrops, and no one will ever know that I'm crying when I go outside. To the world outside, my tears I refuse to explain. Oh, I wish it would rain. That's where I was. This, this song described me to a T, right? And, and, and for most of us in here, and I know some of y'all feel what I'm saying, you try to fake it till you make it, right? Amen? You play dress up. You play pretend. You act like everything's okay when nothing feels like it's okay. It's hard to reach out. You're hurting. Uh, people, you, it's hard to let people know that you're struggling. You feel depressed. You're struggling with your faith in Jesus. I don't know if this describes you today. I hope, maybe, I hope it doesn't. But if it does describe you, I hope I can be some help to you today. I hope God's word can lead you. I hope you, you but here's the thing. I hope you would stop pretending for a second. For 35, 40 minutes, stop pretending, start being real, and start saying there's something wrong, God. Because other people see it. They just ain't letting you know. <laughs> Fight the shame. Fight the lie that I'm too broken for God to do anything with. The reality, we, we go through seasons, we all go through seasons where we feel broken, we feel dejected, we feel discouraged and dry, we feel distant from God, don't we? We feel like God doesn't care and we wrestle with our faith. What's the solution though? Because well, you're talking about the problem, then what's the solution? And I believe this passage has a lot to say about the solution. The thing I want you to see and gain from today is, and it's what mama told me, you need some encouragement. You need some encouragement. That might not be deep. But hear what I'm saying. Your faith cannot survive without it. And God expects his church to give it to us. He expects us all to be able to encourage one another in this faith. And there are three ways we encourage each other that I see in this text in our faith in Christ. We encourage each other away from evil. We encourage each other towards the Lord. And we establish each other in the gospel. And so, amen. There you go. I like people talking back to me. Amen. Make it plain. Amen. But to fully understand this text, what do we have to do, y'all? We know context is king. We got to know what's happening in the text. And in this book, we see a community of believers that, that are struggling, that are suffering, right? And it's caused a deep discouragement. And some were wandering away from Jesus. That's why this book paints, paints this picture of an irresistible Jesus, right? And, and it paints this picture of Jesus being better than their old ways and their old religion and their old faith. And it's for us to, 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 to believe, and it's an encouragement to believe in Jesus. When we get to our text today, we see a sandwich between a quote, a, a quote from Psalm 95, two quotes actually. And Psalm 95 was written as a warning to Israel about them wandering away from the Lord in the wilderness. The psalm describes what happened in Numbers 14. We've been talking about this a lot. Even Pastor Tim mentioned it last week, that Israel was a community that was so distressed. That they were, they were about to go into the promised land, and they sent some scouts out, and them jokers gave a bad report and a negative report. 
And these people heard this report that everybody in the, in the promised land that they were about to go into looked like Dwayne Johnson. Everybody looked like The Rock. And they got so scared and so fearful that they said, man, God, I'd rather you would have killed us in Egypt. I'd rather you would have killed us in the wilderness, not to be smashed and be hammered by these other people. And that's what they're afraid. They're afraid right now. They're in the wilderness, angry at God, scared, and they turn in on God, and they don't believe God, nor did they obey God. In our text today, this community of believers were in danger too, these Hebrew believers, because there was discouragement from their persecution, and they began to waver in their faith in Jesus. Here's the thing. Discouragement doesn't come out of nowhere. It's in how we perceive or experience our circumstances. It's when they seem to be greater than God, that it seems to be out of God's control or God can't handle our problems. It causes us deep discouragement. For Christians, we become discouraged when it seems that God is powerless in our circumstances or feel like he abandoned us or life challenges or suffering become too great. And it weighs on us and impacts how we see, know, and experience God. We don't see him as loving. We don't see him as good. We don't see him as caring. It's hard to see that God is good when everything feels bad, doesn't it? It's hard to see that God is good when everything feels so bad. But that's our nature. We question God. We question his goodness. We question his power. We question his love for us when things in our life seem bad. But what we see the author doing for these wandering Christians, he's trying to warn them of the same dangers that their forefathers fell into. I love what Pastor James said on our pastor retreat. It says we need to understand the past to know how to avoid the traps in the present and the future. The author is reminding them of their history. He's reminding them of what the forefathers did and what pulled them away from worshiping God. It was due to discouragement. Discouragement can do that to us today too, can it? It can move us away from God. We have to read ourselves into the text and understand that we too can be in danger. At one point, the author even celebrates their past victory over the discouragement because they faced persecution before. He, he celebrates them. He's saying, man, you guys did well to hold on to Jesus in the midst of all these hard times. But here's the thing. I want you all to hear from me. We don't live on past victories but present encouragements. We don't live on past victories. Victories, yes, God has done such great work, and we can reflect on those things, but we reflect on them today so that we have courage to continue on living. Amen? Continue to trust Jesus. So this is where we are at today. Our text is a GPS on how to avoid these pitfalls. We fight discouragement by giving encouragements. My first point is we encourage each other to away from evil. And what I'm saying is we have to watch out for each other. Because discouragement can turn us away from God. In our text, what we have is a warning. The, the, the sirens are on, amen? It tells us clearly, watch out! <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like a bus is coming straight towards us and we're about to get hit. In some versions it says, see to it. In other versions it says, take heed. In the Greek, in the, Greek the word is blepo. Blepo. I just wanted to say the word. I don't even do Greek words like that. Y'all know I don't. But it's a cool word, blepo. That means watch out in Greek. It means, but what it really means is to keep out, look out for one another. Constantly keep a watchful eye on one another. 
That's what it means. We need to have each other's backs because discouragement can have dangerous consequences on us. Y'all know I love those, those movies or those shows. I love super, let me just say this. I love superhero and action shows and movies. I do. And one of the things I like is when the action hero, you know, he goes in, he's fighting, and he's being overwhelmed, right? And then, you know, he's like, man, I'm getting my butt whooped. Man, I need help. And so all these people come out to cut, and they start to fight with them, and they start fighting with them. They get back to back, and they whooping everybody's tail. Y'all know the movies like that? I love those movies because they start to fight together, and, and they start to win. Here's the idea here. That's what we're saying. It says we have to have each other's back. No one can fight discouragement on their own. Don't believe the lie that you can encourage yourself. Sometimes I got to encourage myself. That might be true when there's nobody around. But when there's tons of people around, you can't say that's true. It's a lie. We try to isolate ourselves and try to feel good about ourselves. But that's not what God wants. He has created us to join and be a part of a body of believers. That's why we join the church, so that we have people we can fight with. I ain't talking about fight with. And not against, but fight with and for us. Amen. We have people who can look after us. People who can watch our backs. We need people to keep a, keep a watchful eye on us, don't we? You need somebody to keep a watchful eye on you. Y'all looking at me like, man, Mo, I don't need nobody to babysit me. Some of y'all do. <laughs> Let's be real. Some of y'all need to be babysat. I'm joking. I'm joking. Um, I am. I am. Because you're not a child. I see somebody say, true. I need somebody to babysit me today. You're not a child. You don't need to be looked after like a child. You don't need to be babysat. But you're not too mature for you to fall subject to discouragement. You're not too mature that you're not susceptible to wandering away from the Lord. Just because you have been in church a long time does not make you mature. Some of us grow up in the church, and that says, hey, we mature. We know the Lord, and you know, I've been in church. You can say all the right things. You can talk the talk, but you definitely can't walk the walk. Amen. Some of y'all in here know we, we're in the Bible Belt, y'all. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio. That ain't the Bible Belt. People act like heathens. <laughs> in Cleveland. Here, you sometimes can't tell the difference between the non-believer and the believer. But here's the thing. That, listen, we got to understand what immaturity looks like because in the book of Hebrews, he actually rebukes them at one point, right? He says that you, you should be on spiritual, like, spiritual meat, but you're on spiritual milk right now. He says, you are toddlers in the faith, and you should be supping on milk, and you, I mean, you should be eating meat, but you still are struggling. And here's what a spiritually immature person is. They lack the ability to discern God's voice, to know right from wrong. You're struggling with obedience, and you lack biblical convictions. You struggle to live in line with Scripture. You lack the knowledge of what God says in his word. You don't live surrendered to God, but you, you live to your own desires and your own uh, 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 love for, for, for other things. Listen, here's the thing. It means, what it means to be an immature believer is that you don't love God as much as you say you do. The thing I want to encourage you guys is that I'm not trying to shame you guys or tell, say, make a difference or try to make categories of different types of believers. What I'm trying to do is help you understand is that there's things in your life that you struggle with that show off that you are immature in ways. Amen or oh me? Thank you. Somebody said oh me. Praise God. Somebody being honest today. Amen. But we're called to link arms. 
We're called to be responsible to one another and accountable to one another. Christian fellowship is not about just hanging out, going to each other's baby showers, going to hang out after church and, and sharing a good meal. Christian fellowship is about protecting one another, about guarding one another, about encouraging each other's faith towards obedience towards Jesus and his word. No matter who you are, you need people in your life who will correct you and call you out at times. Amen? You might be here and you might be struggling with what I'm saying right now. Because you don't want nobody to hold you accountable to the things that you struggle with. Amen? There's people right now who are very, not, they're not careful with their words. Tripp said it the, uh, the other week. People are just not careful with their words. And they, they slander, they, they lie, they gossip. And, they need a, and, they, and you need accountability. Maybe you're in a relationship right now and you're starting to get a little heavy in the petting area of your, of your relationship. Y'all start start, starting to cross boundaries that you said you would never cross. And now you sit, sit up there by yourself with nobody to hold you accountable because you don't live, you ain't do your relationship in biblical community. You didn't want anybody to know about your relationship. You actually tried to hide it to people. Maybe you're struggling to love your spouse. Maybe you'll let resentment and anger control your heart and dominate your heart so much that and you've not, uh, you, you don't have people around you who are, are calling you out about how you're treating your spouse. Maybe you're struggling with addiction right now. Maybe you're struggling with some form of addiction. I don't know what it is, but you don't have the support to help you continue to get clean because you're not being honest about it. Maybe you know somebody who's given up on church and church community. And they've, they haven't been back to church since the pandemic. And you've said nothing to them. Here's what I'm saying. These are all dangerous situations that need encouragement for others to be mature and to walk with Jesus faithfully. Many of us need friendships where people are going to speak up. And many of us need to be those people to speak up as well. If you see your friend about to walk off a cliff, what you going to do? Just stand there and watch them? None of us would. We're all going to shout and do everything possible so they don't die. Except join them on the fall down. I hope you understood what I just said. None of us are willing to grab that person. Now, I don't care how much you love them and you say you love them. You don't want to follow them down the, the, to the, the track of where they're going. Because you know the dangers that, it, that, it, that's going, that they're, they're headed towards. We got to understand the dangers of discouragement and what it's doing to us. You can't just find a remedy if you don't diagnose the problem. I love what this text says. It shoots straight with us. It says, it tells us discouragement can lead us to an evil, unbelieving heart. And it warns us from being hardened by sin's deception. The word evil actually means to be in active opposition to God. Unbelieving means unwilling to respond positively to God. To be, to be hardened by sin's deception means we begin to believe things about God that aren't true. That you become numb to God. You choose sin over God. You believe it gives you something that God cannot. Discouragement can lead us to dark places where God can it. Amen? It can lead us to spiritual numbness towards God. It can lead us to being unresponsive to God. We are unmoved by the truths about God. It leads us to be okay with our sin, right? Sin doesn't sting like it used to, does it? Sin doesn't, 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 is not as detestable as it used to be, is it? 
and we continue to, 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 to wallow in it and we continue to continue to commit and, 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 and uh, continue to walk in patterns that are uh, uh, unloving towards God. But here's what I'm trying to say. You, this discouragement can leave you so unresponsive that, that you lack discernment and you become skeptical about God's intent in your life. You see, the object in both of these, the, these statements is the heart which is the center of, of who we are as a human beings. The heart and soul are synonyms for one another. It's the seat of your emotions, your thoughts, your actions, and your will. You want to know why you feel the way you do about God. You want to know why you believe the things you believe about God. You want to know why you, are, you, you, you can't live a surrendered life to God. Look at what dominates your heart. Look at what dominates your heart. What it's saying is discouragement can lead you to feeling resentment towards God, believing that God is not good nor loving and living unfaithful to him. I want to be clear because in, in the book of Hebrews, we see a lot of talk about wandering away, right? And some of us might say, hey, that means we, a Christian can lose their salvation. Again, I want to be clear. I do not believe a Christian, once you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can walk away from the Lord completely and forever. You can't earn which you, can't, you, can't, you can't lose what you never earned. But here's the thing. Passages like 6, chapter 6, 4 through 6, or chapter 10, 26, here, here's what I want you all to know. They don't state that these people were actually believers. It states that in some way they heard and learned the gospel or became knowledgeable about it. That they, came, they had a familiarity about the gospel. That they got excited about the gospel and made even a profession of faith, maybe, about what they believe about Jesus. But here's the reality, and I don't think we talk about it enough, right, that there are people in the church who have a superficial faith, right? There are people in the church who say they know God, but they actually don't. Even in this Hebrew community, there were people who were believers and unbelievers, and you really couldn't tell the difference at points. It's normal for people to get discouraged, right? I want you all to hear this for Christians. It's normal for us to get discouraged. It's normal for us to have seasons where we struggle to trust God and to love him back. And sometimes that does come out as sinful acts or attitudes towards others. Sometimes it does. But we don't completely abandon Jesus. Somehow the Lord draws us back by his grace. And here's the thing. But there are people who have a knowledge about Jesus, but, but they don't love him or have a conviction for him. They never are rooted in the faith. When discouragement hits, they abandon Jesus in the faith. We see this in the parable of the four soils, right? Jesus describes four different soils that describe the condition of a person's heart who received the seed of the gospel. He tells us that some soils are superficial. We read this in Matthew 13, 20 to, uh, 21, where it says this. And the one sown on rocky ground, this one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But here's the thing. But he has no root. And is short-lived. When distress or persecution comes, because of the word, immediately he falls away. Last time I pray, uh, when I preached, I said, faith and love are, go hand in hand. Love and, and faith are about commitment. They're about fidelity. They're about staying and, and remaining faithful. You know your love is superficial when it's tested. You know your love is superficial when it's tested. I'm going to just give you an example of people, how they treat marriage sometimes, right? At weddings, people stand before witnesses in God and profess their love and commitments to one another. They make commitments and promises to one another. They tell each other what? What do they tell them? For better or for worse. For richer or for poor. For sickness and, and health. 
for, for what, what? For forsaking all others till death do us part. But as soon as things start getting rough, as soon as we start to have some friction in our marriages, what happens? I, mean, I don't want nothing to do with this person. They're not making me happy. I'm done with this person. And they leave and abandon their, their families and their spouses because they're not getting what they perceive they should get out of marriage. They act like they never made those commitments. They act like they never loved or said that they loved this spouse and would be committed to them forever. They leave and abandon them. I mean, here's the thing. If you're going to be honest about your marriage, if the folks that are married, we all struggle, right? We all fight for our marriages, right? At some point, none of us are sitting here talking about, man, marriage is easy. Because it's not. There are some people who, who just, who know what I'm talking about. Yeah, y'all better say amen or oh me, amen. I need to hear something. Amen, amen. But we fight for our spouse and we choose our spouse every day we wake up. Every day I choose Sandy. Every day I choose Sandy. Every day I got to say to myself, no, no, uh-uh. Some of us are saying to us right, ourselves right now, I wish I was single again. But we're fighting that temptation and saying yes to our spouses, amen or oh me. Some are here who have superficial love for Jesus. There is no commitment or worship. There is no obedience. They walk away from his church and they never return. There's a fine line between deconstruction and deconversion. Between God being real and God being a myth. Some of us are living like God is a myth. That he's not real. That he doesn't exist. Commitments make people at weddings are for the future. When things get rough, we continue to make a decision to love that person and stay married. The same is with Jesus. Every day we commit our lives, every moment of our lives, is saying, I choose Jesus. Even through the storms of life, that I choose Jesus. It's an ongoing decision. Salvation happens at one point, but we continually choose Jesus every day. Amen. God uses hard circumstances to show us what our faith is made of. And I'm not judging anybody here. I'm pleading with you. For those who don't know Jesus, know Jesus died to have a relationship with you. Know that, that Jesus' love for you is not uh, superficial. He showed it by going to the cross for you. But listen, believers need to heed this warning too. You can believe uh, 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 that in Jesus, which you could be like the third soil, where you can focus more on pleasures of this world and be more focus, focused on your comfort and desires than you are on God. The point I'm trying to focus on, being isolated with, uh, while being uh, discouraged is dangerous. We have to be honest with one another, warn each other where our discouragements can lead us. The Bible tells us that we have to watch out for one another. This is not a suggestion, it's a command, it's an, it's an imperative, and it's a critical need we all have. We don't just sit idly by while people are walking off cliffs. But we kindly help guide people back to Jesus. I love what Galatians 6.1 says. It says, dear brothers and sisters, if, if, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly uh, help that person back to, on the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. This passage is about the humility that we approach each other with, that we lovingly and carefully shepherd one another back to Jesus. That gets me to my next point. The encouragement we give should lead us toward the Lord. What I'm saying, encouragements shouldn't be shallow. They should have some deepness and some depth. Y'all know that thing that teachers still say and coaches still say? The hard work you put in today 
will pay off tomorrow, right? The hard work you put in today, some of y'all are still saying that. Y'all, y'all say that to yourselves to this day. The hard work I put in today will pay off tomorrow. What you're saying is this hard work that I have and I'm doing right now will get me to the goal that I, want, I have for my life. The work we put in to help encourage people gets us to the goal of knowing and being with Jesus forever. Amen? The reason why we gather, the reason why we need community as believers, the reason why we stress being a family in meaningful membership at Cornerstone, reason why we, we have a strong uh, commitment to relationships and building relationships with one another. The goal isn't just to keep you from being discouraged, but to lead you to experience the Lord. So that you live for Jesus. The reason why we see people sitting on their hands and not moving to share the gospel or moving to care for others is because they're not experiencing Jesus. John 15, I'm going to preach on in a couple of weeks. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason why people aren't actively caring and loving for one another because they're not having communion with God. They're not communing with God. Please believe. Man, we as Cornerstone believe that we should be communing with God. And here's the thing. We use this phrase at Cornerstone. It says we are preparing each other to meet Jesus. This is the goal, but it's also the how. We prepare people by letting them meet Jesus or bringing them face-to-face to Jesus. We don't have to wait for people to experience God. This is not a future reality, but we can have fellowship with God now. Amen? That's what Jesus afforded us, right? That we can have a relationship and know God and be face-to-face with him and have intimacy with him. The text says, encourage one another daily in the living God. These phrases express an experience that we should be having with each other and with God. The author is making a point by saying living God. He's saying that God is alive. That the idols that you will turn to when you're walking away from him are dead. But if you turn towards God, you'll find life abundantly. He's saying the living God. Our encouragement should help one another experience the living God. God has a personality. God is relational. God loves us. God gets angry. He has thoughts, emotions, and a will. We see this in the person of Jesus. God just isn't some impersonal crystal that we just wish upon a star on, amen? He's not some statue that we just bow down to and say, to Buddha's name be praised. Our Lord is personal. He desires to have intimacy with us. He wants to have fellowship, commune with you. You want to know and experience his love and to, to give his love back to him. The beauty of this text is it tells us how we get there. We get there by experiencing intimacy with Jesus by the encouragement we give one another. So what I'm saying is the type of encouragements matter that we give one another. What I mean is encouragements aren't compliments. Compliments make us feel great, don't they? Compliments make you feel like you're the man, you know, or the woman, right? Amen? When somebody says you have a nice smile, you you know, you you smirk and you get blushed a little bit, (laughs) all that stuff, right? Get a little giddy, don't you? When somebody says you're losing weight, you be like, I know I am, you know what I'm saying? Somebody can give me that encouragement today. Amen, I need that one. I need that one. When people say you're gifted, when you're talented, all those things are great, right? Compliments, but they're not true encouragement because they're shallow. They're based on, a, on how people see you or experience you. It's based on your performance or some trait you can lose. Compliments can be encouraging. They can give you confidence, but they don't fuel you to love God when life is rough. Being told you have a nice smile doesn't mean much when you're going through depression, does it? Come on, anybody that been through that? Somebody came up to me, man, you have a nice smile. The way you did that, he's like, man, shut up. Get out of my face. 
Y'all know what y'all do. Y'all did it to me a couple times. Amen. We need encouragement that reaches our souls, that leaves us inspired to trust God, to love God by reminding each other who he is, all he's done, all he can do, all that he has promised. We need to help each other experience God's story in our suffering, in our challenges, in our grief. We need encouragement from God's word. This is why we're going through Restore and implementing this curriculum because I saw people struggling. Struggling to, to experience God in their daily lives. People were walking away from Jesus, and they were walking because this pain was too great. And through a story, we, we learned how to offer people help and love through God's word and prayer. How to engage each other's stories by helping people see God in their story, in his love and experience, all that he is displaying to us in his word, in our own personal lives. It's through, it's through God's word we come face to face with God. It's through God's word we come face to face with God. We see who he is, his power, his relentless love, his grace. We see what he does actively in our lives and behind the scenes. We cannot experience God apart from his word. Some people might be saying to themselves, man, I don't like the idea of throwing just a random passage at somebody's pain. I agree. Some of us have done some very harmful things in the way we engage people with God's word. Because we try to fix people. We try to solve people's problems. For some reason, when people go on through stuff and we're happy, it bothers us really badly, doesn't it? But that's what we're saying. Like, here's the thing. I love what, uh, what Theodore uh, Roosevelt said. He said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Let's create safe places where people can open up and be honest about what, what's truly going on in their hearts and lives. A place to be known, a place to, uh, that is not full of judgment, a place that's full of comfort, not trying to fix each other. Because it's beyond our power. The power we have is to shepherd people. We can shepherd each other through prayer and through reading scriptures or praying scriptures with one another. But here's the thing. Don't denounce or diminish the, the ministry of presence. Some of us will sit with people more than we'll share with people. But know that God's to use that little bit of sharing, that little bit of statement, that little bit of prayer you can offer them to do wonders in their lives. If you believe God's word never comes back void, then why do you act like you have to say a whole bunch of it to see change in people's lives? That's not how sanctification happens. It's not on how much you consume, right? It's not in how much you consume, right? I love this statement. It says, it's not in the quantity of Scripture we try to help people digest. It's in the quality of how we engage a person's heart with God's Word. That's me. I said that. I just want to make sure y'all give me credit. <laughs> the hope I have for Cornerstone is that we would be a church that leads one another to experience communion with God. That we are a church full of uh, encouragement. And I love this because we want people to experience the love of Jesus because the love of Jesus compels us to a fruitful ministry. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 14 says the love of Christ compels us. It compels our hearts to faithfulness towards him, right, and to minister to others. I love what Jay Harris did for me the other, other, other week. He didn't know I was going to say this, but I got to say it to him. From the prompting of the Holy Spirit and his wife, Alexandria, thank you, Alexandria, and the Holy Spirit, he saw that I was sitting right over there. He didn't know what was going on in my life. He had no idea the discouragement I was facing and my family is facing in this season. Some of y'all know. Some of y'all have heard. But you don't know the impact it is having on my family currently. But he came over and he prayed for me. Thank you, Jay. Because I was discouraged. I, I was hopeless at times. I didn't know which way to go. 
God was foggy for me at that moment of how he could help me. But it was Jay who came over and offered me prayers, who put his arm around me and hugged me. It was a tangible expression of God's love for me. But we can do that for one another, can't we? We can do that for each other. Man, I love what Maya Angelou had to say. She said, as you grow older, we will discover that you have two hands, one for helping yourself and the other for helping others. Man, I remember, we were just, just the other day, and I, I got to share this. I was at the, a ramen shop with two of my brothers. And all of us were carrying some weighty things in our lives. We were all discouraged. And man, it took one brother calling two brothers up and saying, we're going to meet at this shop just to encourage one another. Not one of us didn't make space for the other person to share and to be prayed with or to find encouragement from God's word. And as I was eating, I felt my soul coming alive inside of me in hope that it was rooting me in God's word and in the word and, and, and it was rooting me in God's faithfulness and his love. We just got done singing a song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, Jehovah Nisi. This is who God showed up as for me in those spaces. He became my, my shalom at that moment. And he asked and he desires to be your shalom as well. So let me continue. We don't just uh, uh, give encouragements. We establish people in the gospel. Our encouragements deepens our roots in the gospel. A friend of mine, he did a Facebook story. I got to share this because it's my boy Joe McCall. He's, a, he's in the military over in um, California. And he was talking about the redwood trees. And I love this analogy that he used. He said, redwood trees, as they grow older, their roots grow out. And they intertwine with one another. And as they intertwine with one another, what happens is they become less likely to be pushed over. No matter the, the power of the storms, because they're pulling on each other's resources, they don't fall when the storm hits. This illustrates what verse 14 is saying. I love the word we, because the we we got to pay attention to. Sometimes we have this abstract thinking that God is only talking to me, but he's talking to the collective, the church as a whole. The thing I love about verse 14, it says, we have become participants in Christ if we hold firmly to the end. Your faith in Jesus is not, uh, does not grow on your own, but grows in community. We are tethered together, supporting one another, supporting each other uh, by our roots, and we're pulling on each other's resources. If we're going to fully understand what it means to be in Christ, it means that your faith is not worked out in isolation. We're dependent on one another. It's dangerous to, to, to try to build your biblical convictions and opinions apart from Scripture and community. Amen? Our faith is communal. That's the way God created us. Amen? That's the way God created you. You can't live in isolation and think that you're going to grow spiritually. You need some encouragement. That means when I say you need some encouragement, I'm saying you plural. I mean us collectively. There's not one person that can thrive as a Christian alone. We live in society and we live in a culture, the, the American culture, where it talks about individuality. What you get, it's about what you have. But, but the, the scriptures don't have that cultural perspective. And we try to look at scripture with that lens of individuality and we get the text wrong. The Bible talks more about the collective than just the individual. We, 
Pastor Mike just got explaining about the whole uh, people of Israel turning away from the Lord, then turning back. Because one person got up and said something about God's word and it convicted everybody. It wasn't an individual repentance. It was a mass repentance. And that's how God does with us. He, 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 there's a mass repentance. There's a mass recovering of his presence in our lives. Amen. And that's how we hold on to the reality we have from the start. The Christian, his or her foundation is in the gospel. Your relationship began with Christ. When you first heard and believed in the gospel, but you don't just begin with that message. You continue to endure with that message and you finish with that message. You don't move past the gospel. The gospel grows deeper inside of you as you grow up in the faith. It grows deeper into your heart. Our encouragements help establish or deepen our roots in the gospel. The gospel helps us, 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 us uh, helps fortify our hearts. It reminds uh, each other of Christ's work through God's word by sharing our stories. I love hearing people's stories. I love hearing somebody testify. And I remember, uh, uh, man, uh, Pastor Tim led a great session on evangelism training. Y'all got to show up to that, y'all. Y'all got to show up to that. And he helped each other, he helped one another learn what it looks like to share our faith through our stories. Right? Amen. And I, people started sharing each other's stories. People that have never met each other shared their testimony of how they came to know the Lord. And he, he let us testify about what we heard. And people remembered elements of our story that connected with them. How God showed up for them. That's what happens. That's what Revelation 12, 11 says. That we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. We overcome. We overcome. We overcome. Our mission is to help people whose roots are shallow to become firmly established in the gospel. Just like in a marriage, the goal isn't to stay married. I hope you understand. The goal in your marriage is not to stay married. It's to grow deeper together. To grow more connected. To grow more intimate. To become one. Amen or oh me. Married folks, speak up, please, because uh, some of these single folks were like, oh, it, what, 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 what? amen, all right, y'all, y'all leaving questions out there. People questioning some stuff. Here's the thing, y'all. I love the fact that we get the opportunity to bring people closer to Jesus. That's what God has called this church to do. That every one of y'all has the responsibility of bringing somebody closer to Jesus and to experience Jesus. I love what Jordan did even on Friday. By leading in the worship team and the, and the musicians. Y'all don't realize the songs that we just sung rooted our faith in the Lord. Everything that we do at Cornerstone will be, will be to bring you closer to the face of Jesus. So that you can see his grace. You can experience his presence. That you can fall deeper in love with him. That the gospel will become rooted in your hearts. A book called Trails in the Vine, put it this way, and I'm going to finish in a little bit. It says, people growth happens through the power of God's spirit as he applies his word to people's hearts. That's the way people are converted. And that's the way people grow in maturity in Christ. We plant and water, but God gives the growth. We speak God's word to someone, and the spirit enables a response. This can happen individually in small groups and large groups. It can happen over the fence or over dinner or over morning tea at the church. We don't do that here, okay, amen. We don't do morning tea. Amen. It can happen in the pulpit or on the patio. It can be the formal exposition or study of a passage, a Bible passage, or someone speaking some scripture-based truth without even referring to the Bible. The thing I want to stress is that we all have the ministry of the word. This thing called the priesthood of all believers is real, and it's true. 
That's how we hold firmly to the reality we have from the start. Here's the thing. This can't just be theoretical anymore, church. This can't be a theoretical thing that we, man, this is a good idea. Mo, Pastor Mo, preaching the word today. And man, and y'all go out and y'all do nothing. You can't just sit on your, your hands. God has given you the word. And you're like, man, Mo, well, I don't know how to encourage people. I, I need encouragement too. Here's what I want you to know. When you hug somebody, what happens? They just don't experience the hug. You, you experience the hug too, right? Amen. You, you experience that hug just as much as they do. That means when you offer people encouragement through God's word, that impacts you just as much as it impacts the other person. Amen? And it reminds you. But people in this church are struggling. I can see the faces right now. And I've got story after story of people who have wanted to call it quits on Jesus. They're barely holding on. And we're sitting idly by, not noticing. And not seeing their faces desperate for help. I want to tell those people right now, be bold today. Don't sit and hide. There's no healing in hiding. There's no healing in hiding. Be honest about where you're at. Let people hold you. Let people carry you. I want you to know that there is safety. And look at the faces around you and know there are kind and loving faces around you. But it takes you stop hiding. But I want you to know, I want to give you some comfort. I want to remind you that Jesus had to endure isolation and discouragement so you don't have to. Jesus died on the cross and was forsaken so you wouldn't be. Jesus endured the shame of the cross so you wouldn't have to live in shame. God wants most for you to receive the encouragement you need to have fellowship with God and to live for him. And he wants you to do the same for others. Remember, you need some encouragement. I want you to take time. My only charge to you today is to take some time. Maybe after our member meeting, maybe after we leave service at some point, some of y'all. And I want you to go out with somebody, either this week, and share what's going on in your life. Have some, have some courage to do it. This is my encouragement to you. I'm putting a battery in your backpack right now. And share and just pray for one another. Hold one another. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your encouragement through your word. Thank you for your love. God, we recognize that this stuff isn't easy. This stuff can slip through our hands very easily. Bring, allow your Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our hearts when we disobey you. We don't pray that enough, Lord, in the church. That the, that the Holy Spirit would convict us, that he would change us, that he would rearrange our lives in such a way that we are met face to face with the reality that we have to obey. It's not an option for a believer. A believer bears fruit, fruit of obedience, fruit of the Spirit. So God, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to receive your Spirit today. Convict us, Lord, but also comfort us. There's so many people who need your tender care, that need your tender love, that need your hope. And so, Father, that's what we give. We offer them hope. God, give them your hope. We all need your hope. Allow our, allow our hands to grip around your presence and comfort us and hold us, Lord, through our troubles. God, we do pray, Lord, that you would continue to strengthen our church, continue to strengthen the marriages, the, the people who are fighting for their faith in their marriage, the people who are fighting in their faith even as singles, people who are feeling destitute and all alone. Pray, I, I, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and and give them 
grace. But I pray, Lord, that we will unite as a body and continue to spur one another on.